This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. morning good morning i am on the internet just know that if i like start to cut out i am ready to switch to my phone okay i just thought i would try actual computer first all righty yeah <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> oh my gosh so like the great student i am I like started like the first paragraph of this notes yesterday and then I did the fucking rest this morning. Um. <laughs> hey, at least you have them. I have them. They're done. Um, with 10 minutes to spare, I finished them. <laughs> Man, I procrastinator. It's so dumb. I've gotten so much better about procrastinating, like not doing it, but then what I find I do is if I finish early, then I keep going back. And I'm like, well, what can I change? What can I add? What can I move mm-hmm. on? Like, I, I'll end up, keep, like, I was still, I was watching more of the documentary just to be like, is there anything I missed that I wanted mm-hmm. to, like, slip in there? <laughs> Even though it's done, I'm done. I've got more than enough notes to go off of, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for your your part two. It... I, in all honesty, I think I easily could have done this in like four parts. Oh, really? I might have because bad. of it feels yeah. like it's really complex. There's like there's a lot. It's, there's yeah. There's I so like much. Anything that has to do with cults is you yeah. can just keep going on and on and on and on about it. Yeah. I was actually so tempted to start watching one of the documentaries about Nexium, and I'm like, Maria, stop. And so I distracted myself with the Leah Remini oh my <laughs> show God, that's on Scientology. So oh my God. Oh my gosh. It's so good. One, I love Leah Remini. Mm-hmm. She's a badass. She really is. And two, um, Scientology B. Cray. That's another one we'll have to cover in the future. Yeah. That's going to be another one where there's there's much and i still can't believe that it's very like what scientology is fine what are you talking about we can still exist we can still do like i think it just speaks volumes of leah remini having been a scientologist for the majority of her life yeah and how she knows like she knows so much about it firsthand and how she got out and it's like what does she actually have to like gain from this really you know exactly and she knows so much a lot of, I mean, you just started it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say when you finish it because. Well, it's so funny because I pressed play and I've never seen it, but somehow Netflix had me start at the first episode of the third season. And oh. I'm like, whoa, 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 there's a lot of Scientology that's being unexplained. So I like double checked. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like I'm starting at the third season. So I went back, started watching the very, very first episode. I think I got into the mm-hmm. second episode too. Oof. It's 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 a good one, and it's once you 
like watch all of that and then watch the documentaries on Nexium. It's very interesting to see how similar they mm-hmm. are to a certain degree. I mean, Nexium was more based on a thought process, a thought tech, if you will, Rather than like a religion. Yeah. Um, but he, Keith Raniere was very influenced by Scientology. Hmm. Interesting. And he, had, he had a lot of influences, but that was definitely one big one. And like one similarity is, you know, Scientology talked about people who left were considered suppressives. Mm-hmm. And same for Nexium. If you left Nexium, you were called a suppressive. Oh, wow. That's just... Very creative. <laughs> very original. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> There's a lot of recycling that went on in Nexium. I bet. Um, and it's always so interesting to see, like, when you hear experts on cults, like the different markers of cults and just like. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and the guy on, I forget what his name is. He's the Australian that does the show with Leah Remini. That he used to be one of, like, the top people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he. Um, he talks about, uh, well, I just lost my train of thought. I don't know why he brought up what came up. Wait, what were we talking about? I don't know. Short-term memory. Call me Dory. What um, happened? I don't know. We were talking about, fucking, I've got ADD too. Are you kidding me? I like literally, I'm like, <laughs> I had such a good thought to connect. And then uh, as soon as I'm like, what's his name? And I'm like, what is my thought even? <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that show. It's, it's that guy who's from um, Australia. Right. Mm-hmm. And Leah Remini. Mm-hmm. And then Nexium, Mark Vicente, like the show, it's a lot of Mark and Sarah Edmondson. Mm-hmm. And Mark is South African. And he's working oh. alongside Sarah, who's an American. Oh. Like it's just, it's even that is a strange parallel to, you know, how it worked. And both of them former members um, that worked yeah. their way up. It's, um, and it's so sad how he still has kids in there. Yeah. Oh my God. That's what's super heartbreaking about Scientology. I know the what is it called? How the, many families have been torn di- apart? Well, what do they what do they call it? Disconnection, detachment. Uh, fuck, I forget now. It's something like that. Like when you yeah. basically disown your family for not accepting Scientology. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty so horrible. Like, Scientology is next on crack. Oh, now I remember the way that he described how Scientology works, and I feel like a lot of cults work this way because i think this is the best way that people are brainwashed like you don't just like dump everything on them Mm -hmm. is that like it's not like they they don't throw you into the fire they boil you like a frog like the whole boiling you slowly and the frog doesn't ever realize that it's dying yeah um was a i think a really great way like they really do start with just like a thought and then they like Mm. promise some things and then they add their like special jargon and then it's, yep. you have to do this, and now you're going to have to do that, which incriminates you, and now we have this hold against you, and this it just, yep. like, snowballs out of control. Yeah. And then I shared that video of Mark Vicente explaining, you know, nobody joins a cult. Nobody think nobody is purposely joining something. Like, they think they're doing something good. They think they're mm-hmm. bettering themselves and, in turn, yeah. helping others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. It just, uh, if you want to understand even, like, abusive relationships. Oh, right. Again, a cult. <laughs> Cults are Very literally just good. a abusive narcissist that is not yeah. in a relationship with just one person and abusing them. Polyamorous. Abusing an, an, a, just a fuck ton of people. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, no, absolutely. It really is pretty wild when you look at a pattern of 
the psychological markers of an abusive relationship and how the mm-hmm. abuser gets the abused, you know, kind of stuck. Um, yep. And it really some uh, almost always perfectly matches what happens with a cult and how the leader yeah. treats its followers. Um, it's pretty wild. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. I think you should. <laughs> I think this is a great segue to just jump right on in. Jump right in. To so your I'll- part two. I'll do a quick, um, just in case anyone needs like any refreshers. Um, we're talking about Keith Raniere. He was, he has a really big head <laughs> and he was super interested in pyramid schemes and MLMs. He tried opening his own that got shut down. Um, so then he started another one that I am still surprised was allowed to be a thing since they weren't selling like a tangible item. Um, he was accused of already doing some some pretty bad things, raping someone when they were younger, someone underage. Um, and then I think I finished off with um, bringing her back up that she was found dead of a gunshot wound to her head. It was a suicide because she left a note um, that was pretty sad. And um, oh no, she was she died. Mm-hmm. She she died of a gunshot wound. And then another woman, Kristen Snyder, was found was dead. She- well, or they found her the... vehicle. Right. I was going to say they never found her, but they found her vehicle in a note, right? And she said, no need to search for my body. Which is like, and, mm, convenient. Right. And then they also found that um, Ranieri paid $24,000 to obtain the password to her email account. Well, that's sus. Which is, right? Like, soups sus. Soups sus. Yeah. So. Yeah. This guy's all around <laughs> very, um, wow, what a, what a well-rounded fellow. He's busy. super busy (laughs) to put it too kindly (laughs) it's his brain it's just too big and too much is going on gosh right so oh can we okay but can we say how he like his self uh bio like how he describes himself oh yeah let me go back up to the self bio because like if you guys haven't (laughs) if you haven't heard part one like go back and hear it but i feel like we need to hear this one more time this is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Guinness Book of World Records says that he's one of the top scores on an IQ test ever given. He's one of the top three problem solvers in the world. He learned French, German, and English before he learned to read. He went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute at 16 years old. He had triple majors in mathematics, biology, and computer science. He's a third-degree black belt judo, and he was a concert double pianist. And I have to say... Because I was rewatching the documentary, and there's yeah. an episode where two of the men are talking about, you know, how they got sucked into it all. And one of the guys yeah. is like, Well, Mark, he was a third degree black belt in judo. And you see the other guy just like rolling his head. He's like, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> At 11 years old, <laughs> it was just so like, Yeah, because that was totally true. <laughs> I mean, it's that's that kind of like this charismatic person selling you on something that later you're like how the fuck did i not see that big red fucking flag yeah but you know that's just how it works so can i just say that just because someone's extremely smart doesn't mean that that equates to being trustworthy oh no because i feel like a lot of people People that brag about their ingenuity, they get a lot of people to trust them because like, oh, this is a very smart person. But guys, trustworthiness is not the same as being smart. No. And 
I, I actually, one of the relationships I ended up in that was very abusive mentally and emotionally was with, mm-hmm. he was a narcissist. There's actually a lot about him that reminds me of Keith Raniere and vice versa. I didn't like him when I first met him. I wasn't attracted to him, but he was very, um, he'd keep asking me out and we worked together and I came to feel very like, well, he's really smart. Like, he's mm-hmm. really, really smart. Like maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing to date him. Like and it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Long story short. <laughs> um, and now he lives in another country. Well, that's good. Yeah. Far away from you. Yep. Yeah. What were we saying before that? Oh, yeah. Um, smart people doesn't equate trustworthy yeah. people. Yeah. Just because someone's smart doesn't mean shit. Yeah. So I. So what I ended with last time was what I was going to start with this time. So what I'm starting with this time seems a little like, whoa, okay, diving right in there. Um, So it's a little frank. But anyway, Mm -hmm. some members of Nexium's inner circle were reportedly taught that in past lives, they were high-ranking Nazis. What? Yeah. If someone would have told me that, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Goodbye. (laughs) Uh, Barbara Boucher. Uh-huh. was reportedly the incarnation of Holocaust architect Reinhard Heydrich, while Nancy Salzman was supposed to be the reincarnation of Hitler himself. Oh, shit. And so Ranieri Keith claimed, wasn't Hitler himself? Oh, no. He claimed to have been a leader of anti-Nazi partisans. So, like... Okay. <laughs> what? I want to know exactly how that conversation went down. Yeah, like, how do you introduce that concept <laughs> that they were like, well, fuck yeah, that makes sense. I was Hitler? Well, that explains why I keep having to wax this mustache. I just thought it I was some weird it. hair pattern or something. But then, of course, he's the leader of the anti-Nazi partisans. I just... Okay. Um, another fucked up thing. that, And this is stuff <clears throat> that came out after... Um, he was charged. These are all from people that testified. Little pieces oh. of information. There's so much more, but these are little things right. that I was like, that's fucked up. Um, a doctor, a Nexium doctor performed an experiment on a former member while they were still a member that involved recording her EEG responses while viewing footage of people being murdered. Oh my God. They do touch on that in the documentary a little bit and it fucked her up. How did they even like, get that footage? Right? Oh, were they doing the murdering? I don't think so. They were but just like YouTube, to go out of like the world's find that. more most nightmarish YouTube compilation. God. I don't think it was even like the found on the regular internet. I think oh, the they... dark web. Mm-hmm. Or as um, my friend Anna would say, Etsy. <laughs> Did you hear that episode? <laughs> Remember that one? Yeah. My way throwback to um, the amazing Anna when she did a couple true crime episodes with me. <laughs> and she's just like, Etsy's the dark web. I don't know, there's some dark shit there. I'm like, where the hell? What Etsy shopping are you doing? <laughs> Haven't found that yet. <laughs> Another thing that happened, August 2019. So not that, not that long ago. Um, that doctor had his license revoked for his role in the experiments, as well as his failure to report a possible outbreak of norovirus at Nexium's 2000 
16 V week retreat, which is, this is, is this v, is a thing. Is V week? <laughs> is that Vagine week? Uh, probably. Cause of like Vanguard week. It was to celebrate oh. Keith's birthday, but. Ah, uh, I see. It, that's probably what I just have my mind too. in the gutter. It's fine. Well, you're, it's not a wrong place to be when talking about him. Right, right, right. This is where it gets really interesting. There was this whole episode that touched on this. So remember the Bronfman family got involved at one point. They're the oh, the Seagrams. To the, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Claire Bronfman, Bronfman um, was involved and in uh, October 2003, Forbes published an article on Nexium, and as well as Keith Raniere and mm-hmm. Edgar Bronfman, Claire's father, was quoted as saying about Nexium, "I think it's a cult." Oh. And now this is a big, important, ma- important in quotes, but yeah. a big man in a big magazine mm-hmm. stating that he thinks something is a cult. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so a lot of people became critics of Nexium at this point. Because they wanted to find why is this guy right. making these claims, and because of all these critics, Nexium actually began to try and open criminal investigations into anyone who said anything about them. Wait, their own like vigilante criminal investigations? <laughs> like they had or... some really good lawyers. Okay, and got it. Another parallel to Scientology. There's yeah. a lot of you know. You come for us, we'll come for you, kind of thing. Yep. The Times Union wrote an article that claims Nexium developed a reputation for aggressively pursuing critics and defectors who broke from its ranks, including using litigation to punish critics of Ranieri, the organization, or its training methods. So the ball was rolling a little bit in what may have led to its de- demise, but mm-hmm. um, they had an idea. Okay. So they created a group or part of the group created an organization mm-hmm. that they called the World Ethical Foundations Consortium. And it was co-founded by Keith Raniere and the Bronfman sisters. And they sought out the endorsement of the Dalai Lama. Oh, this is where you said the Dalai Lama comes into play? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And this whole venture mm-hmm. cost them $2 million to do oh, this. Oh, fuck. Yeah, they're, they're holding on. <laughs> they're like, we're not going down yet. So the Dalai Lama, they met with him and he, they explained, you know, we could use your endorsement. You know, we do good things. You know, they tried to explain why people thought they were a cult and how ludicrous that was. And he was super hesitant to say anything. And you see Keith just like push and push and push um, and really tried to persuade him. And finally, they persuaded the Dalai Lama to endorse them. My gosh. Yep. In uh, May of 2009, the Dalai Lama actually traveled over to New York to give a talk, and he presented Keith with the white scarf. Oh, fuck. It's just like a, not the Nexium white scarf, but it's like a a Dalai Lama type scarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like an honor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know Fuck. what the Dalai Lama thinks now, but um, yeah. Yeah, I want to know what the way. Dalai Lama's PR team um, has to say in response to <laughs> that. Now that the truth's out. Yep. 
probably not going to let him meet with anyone else for enforcement. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that also, I think, speaks to how cults and abusive relationships really prey on good people. Yes. And they're they so really, convincing. They're so convincing. And they really rely on you being empathetic mm-hmm. and caring and everything good. So after that happened, same year, 2009, a group of associates of Keith Ranieri's, they were called the Nexium Nine, I think because they were part of like the original group of people. Mm-hmm. They broke from Nexium and Ranieri and they cited uh, concerns with unethical practices and alleged abuse of his leadership status to sexually manipulate women in the organization. And one of them was Barbara Boucher, who I mentioned a little bit ago. And she had also been a partner of his for nine years. Mm -hmm. So someone who had actually been like in a relationship with him. Yeah. And that's a whole nother thing that I didn't include how many of these women he was in a relationship with and for how long. And Mm -hmm. there's something fucked up going on there. That's a whole other thing though. Okay. Um, In March, 2010, Ranieri learned that inner circle members, Daniela, had kissed another man. (gasps) And according to 2019 trial testimony, upon hearing the news of this happening, Keith locked himself in a bathroom. Thereafter, he ordered that Daniela be confined to a room with only a mattress and video cameras where she was held for almost two years. What? I thought you were going to say like weeks. Fuck. Yep. Holy shit. Super fucked up. Wow. So now I'm going to get into some of like the fucked upness. We're just so, getting into it now. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is now where the <laughs> fucked upness starts. So, first, I'm going to bring up I remember I brought up there were some groups, the Jeunesse, SOXO, mm-hmm. SOP, all these little acronyms for yeah. things. Yeah. So, I'm going to give a quick little rundown of SOP real quick which is the Society of Protectors. Mm -hmm. And Mark Vicente was the person who kind of suggested that this group be made. Jeunesse was already a group that existed for women. And he kind of thought he didn't grow up being a very like masculine man. Mm -hmm. He like would describe himself as more of like a a wussy kind of a guy. Okay. I think really he's just more of a typical guy. Um, But he thought, you know, it might be nice to have a men's group where we can like talk about that. So Keith said sure and started SOP. And it's turned the group ended up being something that Mark never wanted mm-hmm. or imagined. So what they did within this group was they had things called readiness drills. Uh oh. Where one person would send a text saying, Are you ready? And you were expected to respond immediately with ready. Because you're men, you're you're protectors you need to be ready at any moment notice notice yeah yep and they had things um like penance so if you didn't say ready right away you had to pay a penance well shit what if you were on the can or something oh you had to be ready (laughs) what if someone broke in the house you got to be ready that was their thought so they had to do things like planking for a certain amount of time like it's kind of silly penances but okay you had to pay a penance And so the blueprint of what this group was is kind of used in another group. Mm -hmm. Some of those same ideas. Now, 
they had Jeunesse and they had SOP, but eventually they made Jeunesse co-ed. And they had okay. some crossover where women were invited to SOP to see what that was like. And so Jeunesse became co-ed, but SOP continued to run as a male-only group. Okay. So women no longer had their own Their group. own. Right. Great. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and women <laughs> were, once it became co-ed, they started to kind of speak out a little bit mm-hmm. um, about, you know, this seems a little misogynistic because, yeah. oh, so many fucked up things were said. Like, like, what was one of the things he said? He keeps like giving a talk and he's like, I'm just going to be blunt and say this. Okay. Like I just, I got to get in the right frame of mind. Mind. Do you know why we hate you? Uh, Oh yeah. Full into it. You're like little princesses. You expect everything to be done for you. But then you, it pans to like all the women and you see Alison Mack who's like, I'll get to her in a second, but. She's just like crying, like shaking her head. Yes. Like there are women listening to this being like, oh my God, you're right. Yeah. And they like made a point of saying, you know, men are humiliated as little boys. So we're going to give you a little taste of that. So then it was having all these women, you know, down and doing planks and exercises. And um, men would say something like, huh, I forget the wordage that they, the verbiage, <laughs> wordage, but um, yes. Mm-hmm. what they used to be like a point against her for not telling me to blow my nose or like stupid shit <laughs> stupid sh- like what? i can't i, I knew can't. this was going to turn into a men's rights group <laughs> how did basically, i fucking know <laughs> basically and i mean some of his talks like he he says it and then he'll like kind of quickly turn around real quick with something that like it's kind of like, well, you're trying to save yourself a little bit. You're trying. Mm. Still fucked up. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's SOP. Now, before I get into DOS, some people that I'm going to mention that I've probably already mentioned a little bit before, but I'm going to give a little bit more background on yeah. is Allison Mack. Just mentioned her. She joined mm-hmm. in 2010. She's best known for playing Chloe Sullivan in the show Smallville. Oh. anyone seen that okay she's an actress like i think most people would recognize her even if they haven't watched the show mm-hmm. um she also recruited Kristen cruick who was also from smallville she played lana lang uh, but she didn't stick around for too long nobody knows why she left and she has not said anything since which i think is okay. a little weird then there's bonnie Passe. she met allison mack um around the same time that they both joined in 2010 and they also joined Nexium's singing group because, of course, they had a singing group. <laughs> they had an acapella group. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real good. Um, now, Bonnie Passe, for anyone who knows Star Wars, she was actually in episodes. Was it one, two, and three? What three? I forget. She plays Luke's. Oh, it would have been three. She plays Luke's Aunt Beru. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she was a singer. After that. So she joined, and as she worked her way up the sash, like the straight path, Mm -hmm. she kept being promised learning the tech of how the program worked. Um, Like, you can learn this, you can learn how to do this at level one. And then she'd get to level one. They'd be like, well, actually, now we've pushed it off to level five. And she gets to level five. And then it was like, well, now you Mm -hmm. have to have this sash. 
And oh, so it kept getting pushed off and off and off. She was putting more and more money in. So they get, go to these seminars yeah. and then you go to the seminars, but then you have to work it as well, like other ones. And she wasn't getting paid and she had, you know, the singing group. And then she had the SOXO um, fitness group. And she basically describes like, she only got a couple hours of sleep every night. Shit. And wasn't making money off of something she was supposed to be making money off of. Very... Yeah. MLME. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now at one point, so Bonnie and Allison kind of had an off and on relationship, like friendship, mm-hmm. where they got along and they didn't get along. But when one point where they were getting along, Allison confided that she made a lifetime vow to Keith and she wore she was wearing a belly chain as a sign of that. A a, a belly chain? Like a chain around her. Her belly, which is actually like one, not... like one of those like necklaces, but for your waist, right? Or is, are we yeah. doing a chastity belt? <laughs> not a chastity belt. Okay. Um, just like a chain, which is not uncommon in um, BDSM relationships with a dominant oh, and submissive. Some it. people will wear like a belly chain. Some people wear like a, a collar. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there's like a whole contract. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's detailed, but to be in like a self empowerment group, it's a little weird. Yeah. Um, okay. And Bonnie, I just want to hug her and cry with her a little bit because she was the first one who really listened to her gut and was like, this doesn't feel right. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. She was married to Mark Vicente. Oh, she still is. But um, they were they were together. And she's like, I'm leaving the group. I know it's your thing and you're not going to leave. But, you know, I have to leave. And if we can't be together because of that, then I guess that's what it is. Like wow. really stuck to her guns. Yeah. She Good for she her. didn't have tangible proof of anything. She just was going off of my her feelings. Yeah, she's like she mm, had been something's off. Repeatedly told not to listen to her feelings that they right. were. Yeah, you know, I I she's amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, the next person who is big in this story is Catherine Oxenberg. Okay, um, she's an actress known for her role in Dynasty. And her mother is Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia. Oh, shit. Yeah. And her daughter is India Oxenberg, who, um, if you've heard of the Stars series, Seduced Inside the Nexium Cults, mm-hmm. it's about India. Okay. That's Stars, you said? Yeah. It's okay. on Stars. Um, India. So Catherine went to a couple seminars, she introduced it to India. India really, really took to it. She was like the same age as Allison and Bonnie. And um, she got super involved, Uh-oh. especially in the DOS program. And um, Catherine tried really, really hard to get her out of it before the authorities got involved. And like you see, you see a lot of that in the documentary. It's really sad. But I guess mm. uh, judging by the fact that India got her own show, I guess she got out and is okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not okay, but like sure, but she's made it out at least. Yeah, and the final person. So so far, other than Allison, everyone is is takes part in bringing down Nexium. Okay, they're like who we owe everything to, um, for for making this stop. So, but the final person is Sarah Edmondson. So she was friends with Nancy Salzman's daughter, Lauren. Mm-hmm. And they would often EM together. And that was that um, exploration of meaning of like, 
man, I'm really nervous about blah, blah, blah. And then they would explore what, where that nervousness was coming from to like make it go away. Got it. Um, so she was like a friend, but she was also her superior, like kind of a all in one type relationship. They yeah. were so close that Lauren was, um, Sarah's maid of honor and officiant at her wedding. Oh, but they were super, super close. Uh, Sarah also opened, uh, an, they called it an ESP. So even though it was an axiom, they still think the original people called it ESP, the executive mm-hmm. success programs. They opened a center in Vancouver. Um, she opened it with Mark Vicente actually. And then she married a fellow. I love that they call themselves this espion. 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 It's like I have ESPN or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, she married the, his name is Nippy. That is a valid name. Yes, it is. It's just very um uncommon. Very uncommon. Mm-hmm. So Sarah marries right. Nippy. Got it. Who he and Mark were two of the lead people of SOP. Okay. And um, Sarah Edmondson plays one of the biggest roles in not only bringing down Nexium, but exposing it in the first place. Okay, cool. The DOS part. So now we get to DOS. All right, I'm in which, waiting. Um, let me go up for a second because I didn't write again what it stands for. DOS is Dominus Obsequious Sororium, which what means any master. What do those words mean? Master over slave woman. Ew. Oh. Yeah. Yep. So DOS was start. No one really knows, like, I mean, I'm sure it's probably in someone's testifying business, but, like, mm-hmm. it, this was not started as, like, Jeunesse or SOP or, like, any of the other groups. It was very secretive, very mm-hmm. um, word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And okay. it was kind of explained to have started as a woman's empowerment group that turned more into a sorority. Okay. And the way it worked was one woman would proposition another woman promising that, you know, I know you're going through A, B, and C, like this group would really, really benefit you. This is what's missing. Um, But they couldn't give them any more details unless, until they received collateral. Of course. Yeah. So here's this really big pitch to make you feel really good about it. You want to learn more. So collateral. So the way Sarah actually explains it is collateral needed to be something that you felt nauseated about. Oh gosh. And like Sarah was explaining, she's like, I don't have any deep, dark secrets. Like I don't know what you like. I don't have collateral for you. Like I'm not that kind of person. Um, I'm not, I'm not a horrible person. So, (laughs) right. So Lauren's kind of like, well, it's just, you know, just make something up. Like that's all it needs to be is just some, make something up. And mind you, this, she, Sarah was pulled in by someone that she trusted completely. They were really, she was really close with. Yeah. And, um, so in Sarah's particular case, she and Lauren sat down and recorded a conversation that was fake where she went over like issues with her family, that her husband was abusive and all kinds of things that it was all just made up. Just so she can get into the group. Just so she, to find out more. 
She's not even fully in yet just to find out more. Wow. And so then once you're in to solidify it, you have to give more collateral. Of course. And a lot of women, the easiest collateral was nudes. Oh, and so, yeah. And then it was explained that DOS was just another MLM, basically. So a master would contact you to become a slave. Once you're a slave, you want to bring in more slaves. And once you have slaves, then you become a master. And then when your slaves get slaves, then you become a grandmaster. What? So this is like a sex pyramid scheme. Basically, because they're not getting anything right. from this. Anything. And slaves were, they had readiness drills just like SOP, except this was, you needed permission for everything. Uh, you would have to say, master, can I eat breakfast? Ew. Yeah. And you'd have to ask, can I eat this for breakfast? Can I eat that for breakfast? What, like um, every little thing, became, can I lift my fucking fork to eat my breakfast? Pretty much everything Jeez. they had to ask permission for. And um, like Sarah was saying at one point, she's like, I have a slave now, but I don't know what to do with her. Like, what do I do? And Sarah and um, Lauren was kind of like, oh, I have mine, you know, do errands for me, give foot rubs, things like that. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just super fucked up. So anyway, I like went ahead of my notes. Just off. I went off script. <laughs> <I went back laughs> That's <off> script. cool. <laughs> <laughs> but where was I? Um, but yeah, so you had to ask permission to do anything. And it, one thing that was really common to see, not common, like everyone saw it, but a trend that was seen was, I think even before DOS really got started, was um, that women were counting calories. And okay. sometimes as a slave, you had to tell your master how many calories you were planning to consume. That, okay. Uh. Yeah. So <sighs> now you have been become a slave to a master. Mm-hmm. You then had to go through an initiation. This was really kind of screwed up the story of Sarah's initiation. So basically she was blindfolded and taken to a house. She happened to peek and notice that the house belonged to Allison Mack. Okay. I don't know that everyone would have known that, but she could tell that's where she, she was going. Yeah. She was stripped naked. Oh my God. And it was her and other women. I mean, they were all there kind of very It wasn't just her but... initiation. It was a group of women. Oh my God. Yep. And they're basically explained, we're getting, initially it was, you know, you're going to come to this initiation, you're going to get a tattoo. Oh, but then when they get there, they find out it's not a tattoo. It's a brand. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yep. So the brand was seven lines based (gasps) on the four elements. But there's only four elements. Why is there seven lines? (laughs) These were dumb. (laughs) Okay. I'll get to that. So Sarah explains, like, Lauren is the one who brings her there and she shows her her brand and she's explained to her like these represent the four elements like this is a mountain this is the air oh yada yada okay, okay, okay but so when it came to the branding sarah had to watch each person get branded before her and each person took about 30 minutes what just to get these seven lines Ugh. wait did they do it like, one imagine? by one mm-hmm Oh my god. Like they had to draw each 
line, brand each line. So once that happened, she got her brand. She was officially a slave. And then Lauren surprises her with, well, collateral needs to be collected at the first of the month, which was kind of a like, like rent. wait, what? <laughs> Your utilities so are collateral, <laughs> right? Collateral wasn't just to get in. It was ongoing. Wow. And she didn't know that. And then this is what was fucked up. But I think also how it worked was Lauren would send pictures of Sarah's friends to her asking like, well, what about this person? Can we get them to join this DOS program? Oof. And it, Sarah's pretty sure that the only reason she was brought into this was because she was so good at recruiting people. Oh, I see. And as time goes on, she started to realize she was looking at her brand. She had shown it to one of her slaves or mm -hmm. someone that she was, I think they were interested in becoming a slave and she was explaining it to them. And they said, well, but no, that's an A and an M and she's looking at it. And then it dawns on her from one, from straight on, mm -hmm. there was an, a clear A and a clear M. And from the side was KR. <gasps> AM for Allison Mack and KR for Keith Raniere. She had, oh my God. she had their initials on her. Holy shit. And that's, that's the brand that everybody got was their initials. Wow. So basically the idea is that I don't know if it was Keith or Allison probably came up with the idea of this. Allison was like the top of this pyramid of masters. Yeah. I think she was only a slave to Keith and DOS really was simply a group um, to funnel in women for Keith to have sex with. Wow. Ew. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And Sarah never did. But that's why she thinks the only reason she was brought in was because she was good at recruiting people. Wow. Everyone else seemed to have had a sexual relationship with Keith. Shit. Yeah. So in 2017, Mark, Bonnie, Sarah, and Catherine Oxenberg started to work on their own investigation. And they initially went to the FBI and were told that because the branding was consensual, they couldn't do anything. What? So I know. In late 2017, New York State authorities and the FBI agreed to investigate Nexium. Additionally, Sarah had done an interview with the New York Times where she talked about her brand and the mm -hmm. sex cults, but they kept pushing it off like it wasn't a big deal. But finally, in October of 2017, if anyone knows what came to like big news at that time was the Me Too movement. Right. That blew up kind of overnight after the Harvey Weinstein thing mm -hmm. and women were sharing their stories everywhere. And finally, the New York Times po um, printed Sarah's story. And that was also around the time that finally the FBI was going to take this seriously and we're like really looking into it. Oh my gosh. Well, a little late, but I guess better late a than little, never. Yep. <laughs> Once news broke of the cult, Keith wasn't seen by anyone. He ran. Oh, and the fear was that he fled out of the country where he couldn't be charged. Right. Um, and this is a whole other thing. A former espion, uh, Tony... Zeratini managed to get a picture of him in Mexico, which Tony is this whole interesting guy. And as I think I might've mentioned this before, Nexium was super popular in Mexico. Most of the centers that were open there were run by children of highly influential people, mainly from like wealthy and political families. Mm -hmm. So March 15th, 2018, Keith is finally arrested in Mexico. 
Officers in bulletproof vests kicked open the bedroom door and leveled four machine guns at Lauren Salzman's head. <gasps> Keith attempted to hide in a closet. So Lauren Salzman testifies. She testified and she said her instinct in what she considered a life or death situation was to protect Keith. Wow. Her mentor, former level lover, and grandmaster. And Keith's response, however, was to hide in the walk-in closet. Wow. And she says, it never occurred to me that I would choose Keith and Keith would choose Keith. Really? But like, <laughs> yeah. I think we much. all saw that coming, honey, but I'm glad you finally <laughs> realized it. Yeah. March 26th, Keith was officially charged. Um, in July, the case against Nexium widened. A superseding indictment charged Mr. Ranieri, Keith, and five women linked to Nexium, including. Nancy Salzman, Claire Bronfman, and the actress um, Allison Mack with racketeering conspiracy involving a raft of crimes, including identity theft, extortion, forced labor, sex trafficking, money laundering, wire fraud, with, and wire fraud with obstruction of justice. Is that all? That's all. <laughs> um, March of 2019, Nancy Salzman pleaded guilty. Um, she was charged with identity theft and altering records to influence the outcome of a lawsuit against Nexium. She admitted that she planned invasions of privacy involving email accounts and the altering of records um, edited to remove sections we did not want to turn over. So that was kind of the detail of that. Mm -hmm. Her daughter, Lauren, um, pleaded guilty to racketeering and racketeering. <laughs> racketeering conspiracy and april allison mack pleaded guilty um she pleaded guilty to racketeering and racketeering conspiracy charges related to her role um, prosecutors dropped charges of sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking and forced labor i don't know why yeah, i mean that's... i get that she was very much a victim but she very much but brought she really in... participated though oh big time she apparently was sobbing when she admitted that she had lured women into DOS by saying they would be part of a female mentorship program. Wow. Instead, she had recruited them into the society as slaves, and some women were required to have sex with Keith Ranieri. Ew. Yeah. Allison, you're trash. She, I don't think she's been officially sentenced with anything yet. She like her faces, trial is still ongoing or something? Yeah, she faces up to 20 years in prison. Uh, she was scheduled to be sentenced September 11th of last year, but the date's been postponed twice. So I still, I don't know if I missed that. Hmm. Um, and then Claire Bronfman also, also pleaded guilty to identity theft and immigration fraud. And Nexium's bookkeeper, Kathy Russell, also <laughs> pleaded guilty. And then May of last year, Keith's trial began in Brooklyn. And it was a six-week trial where so much shit came out. Holy shit. I feel like that's really a very quick trial for something this big. Yeah. No? Well, I think at this point, people were ready to just spill. Cool. Um, former members said that as Nexium's curriculum progressed, Keith Ranieri used psychological manipulation to indoctrinate his followers into obedience. Ugh. And critics faced retaliation and lawsuits, blah, blah, blah. Stuff that, like, most people already were kind of like, yeah. And, but most of the trial focused solely on DOS. Not even the rest of the sketchy shit, but just mm -hmm. DOS. One former member, they don't really, they don't say her name. She described how on one day, 
Keith took her to a house, told her to disrobe, blindfolded her, and tied her down to a table. He then asked her questions about her sexual history while another person performed oral sex on her. Oh, God. Yep. Um, And Lauren Salzman testified that the woman in DOS were subjected to punishments, including being whipped with a leather strap or being asked to stand barefoot in the snow. What the fuck? My God, this is so sick. Yeah. Oh, my God. So June 2019, he was convicted. Jurors deliberated less than half a day before finding him guilty on all seven counts yeah um so he was found guilty of racketeering sex trafficking conspiracy forced labor identity theft sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography of course claire bronfman was sentenced to 81 months in prison and nine of nexium's victims spoke at the sentencing hearing um for her the judge gave her a sentence that was longer than prosecutors had requested, <laughs> which, you know, it's real fucked up when someone's yeah. like, give her this time. And the judge is like, I'm going to give her more. <laughs> <laughs> and Claire Bronfman seemingly did not waver in her loyalty to Keith, even wow. though she pleaded, pleaded guilty. In August, she wrote a letter to the judge saying that Nexium and Keith greatly changed her life for the better. Really? God, she is like. Yeah. Past the point of no return, brainwashed. Yep. Now, final one, October 27th, 2020. We did share this in our stories. Mm-hmm. Keith Ranieri was sentenced to life in prison. Yay! <laughs> um, he technically received 120 years, but, you know, it's pretty much life. <laughs> yeah. At this mm-hmm. point, he's 60, so what? Shit. The fucker's gonna be like, I will serve out my time and live a good life when I'm released. Wow. But Keith accused the judge of corruption and has demanded a new trial, which the judge denied twice. Good. And his lawyers wrote in a court filing in September, he is not sorry for his conduct or his choices. Um, that's not helping your case, dude. <laughs> like, I'm glad that you're no. like shooting yourself in the foot, but wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's Keith Ranieri um, as of right now. And, you know, what a piece the of shit. Too long, too long didn't read version would be Keith Ranieri started a cult so that woman had to have sex with him. Ta-da. Which is so wild to me because that just shows how sick he is because it seems like he was an extremely charismatic, charming person that he probably could have bed any woman he wanted, being that like charming and convincing. But he had to take it to another level. I don't know, but also, like, take a look at him. <laughs> well, not yeah. to knock his physical body. I don't like doing that, but I don't know. He, he had certainly a mix of qualities that, eh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> not, like, I don't know. I, I know that there's, I don't know. He, he reminds me of my ex. I'm just going to say that. Oh. An ex. Mm. Let me, let me like, look up photos of him. Let's Google him. Yeah. He used to have really long hair. Oh, yeah. He's he really looks so much volleyball. better with... Hey, I was into volleyball. Oh, but no. He would, like, make everyone come watch him, and he'd wear this, like, headband and his hair back in a ponytail. Oh. Mm. Pictures of that. I'm like, really? These girls are flocking to sleep with him? Not <laughs> knocking you men if no. you look like that, too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I found... 
a photo of him in his knee pads and a blue tie-dye shirt and his yeah. sweatband around. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, see, if, if a guy looked like that but was, he like, looks the like sweetest you'd be one of human Dwight being, Schrute's friends, honestly. Yeah. You know, like, that episode when all of his, like... <laughs> friends like come to interview for a position and they're all just like the most off the wall people Mm -hmm. that's what he looks like (laughs) he looks like he would really fit into that crowd (laughs) but i do not think dwight would enjoy him (laughs) oh no i think he would actually be like enemies he would see what keith was about yeah some degree dwight (laughs) (laughs) i just can't stop thinking about when um him and Pam team up and to do something and he's like first rule don't fall in love and Pam's like I think we're okay in that department (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Uh, wow well I cannot wait now to get into the um uh the the documentaries it's good and I recommend um at least for the vow if you watch that one Mm -hmm. Don't try and push yourself to watch it all at once. Okay, because it's a lot. Huh? Like, it's a lot. Some of the episodes are really heavy. Um, give yourself like one episode at a time, mm-hmm. if you need to. Some of them, I was, I was like, I think when I found it, it was halfway through, and I kind of binged it. And then when I finished, I was like, holy shit! I wanted more, but yeah. then I had to wait a week in between each one, and I was super thankful for that. But are they all then, out or are they still coming they're all out? Episodes? out. Okay. They're all out. And then it ends on this weird cliffhanger that I'm like, are they going to, they're, they're doing a second season. Oh. But I'm like, are they including him? Keith oh, himself in the second, like he contacted, he contacted the documentary people. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the very end of the season of The Vow is a little snippet of him. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the second one. Holy shit. Well, I'm excited to watch those and also glad to finally understand. I've been like turning a blind eye to anything Nexium related because I wanted everything to be a surprise to me as you mm-hmm. told it. Wow. So glad to finally now know what the hell everyone's talking about. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And like I said, there's more. <laughs> yeah. And there's it seems to be kind of ongoing. <laughs> yeah. It's like current. Wow, that's wild. Well, on that note, uh, one mod- we're going to move from one modern fuckboy to one <laughs> much more ancient fuckboy. Oh, an in ancient paranormal. fuckboy. Yeah, I mean, not ancient, ancient, but I mean, like, it's been a few centuries. Um, I, so I've been, <laughs> I always try to, like, do um, cover stories that have to do with something that's been on my mind or something that's personal to me or location or Uh a certain culture or whatever. Well, I currently just finished the third season or fourth, fourth season of The Crown, the latest season. Uh And so I'm like, I'm gonna do something from England because I know that place is totally haunted. Oh, yeah. And so it led me to cover the hauntings of Anne Boleyn. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of people know the history more or less of Anne Boleyn. There's been so many, gosh, books, TV shows, movies um, on this love story that she had with King Henry, so Henry the Eighth. So many. But 
you know, if you're not super familiar, you've like heard of her, kind of know, but I'm going to go through the kind of the background and how she hooked up with Henry VIII and just everything that kind of led up to her death and then the various locations that she haunts to this day. So she's like a soups scandalous and important figure in British history. Super scandalous. Oh my gosh. Like (laughs) what a scandal. All the gossip just spilling the tea. Um, So she was the second wife to King Henry VIII. And she was Queen of England from 1933 to 1936, which is wild because I thought she was a queen from... Sorry, what did I say? 19? Sorry, my bad. No, not in the 30s, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It hasn't even been 100 years. No, I'm kidding. Um, It's because, like, my American brain can't wrap around the fact that there's, like, 1500s of anything, I guess. But moving on. (laughs) Sorry, she was the Queen of England from 1533 to 19... Again, why am I doing that? <laughs> oh my god. 1533 to 1536. There we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, she was only queen for three years, which is wild. I always thought that she was, I don't know, queen for longer for some yeah, reason. No. But it's actually a really, really short amount of time. She would later be charged with treason and executed by beheading on orders from her own husband. But first I'm gonna just kind of break down what exactly happened leading up to her beheading. So Anne was the daughter of Thomas Boleyn, first Earl of Wiltshire, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Howard. And she was educated, actually, mostly in the Netherlands and France. Um, She was largely a maid of honor to the Queen Claude of France. She a Francophile. Um, truly, and actually it showed a little bit in her politics, but I won't get too much into it. And her fashion. Uh, Yes, totally. But yeah, so Anne returned back to England in early 1522. Um, she was supposed to be like betrothed to her cousin in Ireland, um, James Butler, ninth Earl of Ormond. But the marriage plans fell through. I won't get into all that. It's all complicated. But instead, she was able to join the English court as maid of honor to King Henry VIII's wife, Catherine of Aragon. So Catherine of Aragon, she's from Spain. She's Henry's first wife. And in February or March of 1526, Henry VIII has eyes on Anne and begins pursuing her. But she's like, nah, homeboy, I won't be your mistress like my sister Mary was. Apparently Mary was a mistress to somebody and she did not like that. She was like, you know, you got to commit to get all of this. Um, Henry then focused. He's like, all right, I need to annul my marriage with Catherine so that I can go ahead and marry Anne. Um, However, the cardinal that he enlisted on this task failed to obtain an annulment of Henry's marriage from Pope Clement VII. In and in 1529 to 1530, Anne helped bring about his downfall and his death. This cardinal, apparently, yeah. Um, so when it became clear that Pope Clement would not annul the marriage, Henry and his advisors, such as Thomas Cromwell, which is like debated that like she was he was once an ally to Boleyn and he would later then become kind of an adversary to her. Um, mm. they basically began breaking away from the Catholic Church. They closed down monasteries and nunneries, and in 1532, so a year before he would marry Anne, Henry made Anne the Marquess of Pembroke. 
And this was the start of what is known as the English Reformation. Right. So like the Church of English, the Church of English, the Church of England separating itself from Catholicism. And we kind of touched on that when we did Salem Witch Trials, when you were like going through yeah. kind of the history of the Puritans and what their background was. Yeah, um, the, Protestant, the Protestants, like back in, in his days, it was very secretive. If that's mm-hmm. what you were, it yeah. wasn't openly talked about until yeah. Anne Boleyn. <laughs> until Anne Boleyn. And they're like, all right, Protestantism <laughs> now sounds pretty good because that'll give me an excuse to be able to leave yeah. my wife for this. And Catherine was super Catholic. She was so Catholic. Guys, she was Spanish. She was like uber Catholic. I feel so bad for her. I know. Her and her daughter, too. Well, yeah. Her daughter, I'm not so happy what she did in her adulthood. um, No. Going and killing all the Protestants or whatever. But I do feel bad majorly for Catherine. She was initially married to his brother, I believe. And then um, he died shortly after. And I think that's where King Henry was trying to prove that she slept with him before Mm -hmm. he died. And that yeah. was supposed to be his grounds for um, the annulment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- yeah. He tried a few different ways. Um, Super so, fucked up. But yeah. But then he took it to like a f- for sure extreme. And he's like, let me just, <laughs> I don't know, change the entire religion of my country. Um, yep. Let's just do that. <laughs> Speaking of narcissists. <laughs> <laughs> so Henry VIII and Anne had a secret wedding on November 14th, 1532. And then they were formally married on January 25th, 1533. And the newly appointed Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, declared Henry and Catherine's marriage null and void the following May. Which is kind of crazy because both the secret wedding and the formal wedding actually happened before he was really truly annulled from his first wife. Yeah. So five days after the annulment went through, he declared Henry and Anne's marriage valid. So even though they did like the November and the January weddings, it wasn't actually fully, fully recognized until the following May. Mm -hmm. Shortly afterwards, Pope Clement excommunicated Henry and Cranmer. As a result of this marriage and these excommunications, the first break between the Church of England and Rome took place, and the king took control of the Church of England. So now he was like, all right, I'll be my, you know, church's pope, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Anne was crowned Queen of England on June 1st, 1533, and on September 7th, she gave birth to the future Queen Elizabeth I. Um, Henry wasn't, like, too stoked about having a daughter. I feel like everyone back then really fucking Another wanted one? a son yeah they yeah he's yeah. like i already have mary that was his daughter from with Catherine. he's like i mm-hmm. want a son now he has another daughter elizabeth but even though he wasn't like super stoked he was still hopeful that anne boleyn would have a son eventually and he still professed to <laughs> love elizabeth just the same which is great how good of you to you know love a daughter well, radical love you <laughs> So on January 8th, 1536, there was news of the former Queen Catherine of Aragon's death, and the king and Anne were overjoyed. The next day, Henry and Anne wore yellow from head to foot, which in England is a symbol of, like, joy. And they celebrated Mm -hmm. Catherine's death with festivities. 
talk about dancing on our fucking grave. So fucked up. But it's kind of like they were kind of sneaky about it because in Spain, mm-hmm. where Catherine's from, yellow on top of black was also a color of mourning. So they were like, no, we're wearing yellow because we're mourning her. And this is like a celebration of life. But no, like they were just fucking happy that Catherine died. Yeah. So with Catherine dead, Anne attempted to make peace with her new stepdaughter, Mary. But Mary is like, fuck you, stepmom. Um, and just like blew her off. Probably, I don't know, one, because of, you know, tearing her family apart. And two, there's also rumors that her mom had been poisoned by either Anne or Henry. Oh, uh uh-huh. This is probably not true. I mean, who knows, maybe. But the cause of her death was most likely a very rare form of heart cancer. So when they were Mm -hmm. doing the embalming, they discovered that Catherine's heart was blackened. But back then, they didn't know that that was heart cancer. Right. So historians say that's most likely that's why she died. She had a cancer of the heart, but obviously that wasn't understood at the time. So they're like, oh, she must have been poisoned or something. Mm-hmm. So those were some rumors um, going around. So back to how Henry really wanted a boy, wanted a son. So after giving birth to Elizabeth, Anne had three miscarriages. And by March 1536, Henry moved on, like the fuckboy he is, to a woman named Jane Seymour. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, well, now I want to marry Jane. Fuck, like, just three years ago, you just uprooted just a, a total religious upheaval of your country just to marry yep. this one woman. And three years go by, she doesn't give you a son. And he's like, on to the next. Thank you. Next. So in order to marry Seymour, Henry had to now find reasons to end the marriage with Anne Boleyn. And a bunch of fucking shit happened. But to make things simple, as Anne recovered from her third miscarriage, Henry declared that he had been seduced into marriage by means of sortilege, which is a French term meaning either deception or spells like mm-hmm. that. She like she mystified him. And some people claim that um, in Anne Boleyn's trials that she was also accused of witchcraft but there's nothing in paper showing that right but that possibly that could have been like on the minds of the jurors Mm -hmm. yeah so after he's like oh my gosh yeah she mystified me like i just was under her spell his new mistress jane seymour was quickly moved into royal quarters to kind of officially start transitioning her to be his third wife yeah so henry the eighth then had several men arrested alleging them of having sexual relations with Queen Anne Boleyn and even arresting her own brother, George, because uh, he was fucking, claiming or like... Do, he, I, this so is why I he, hate the other Boleyn girl movie. You know, I never watched that, actually. But they so they arrest George Boleyn. They do? Okay. Yeah. So they even arrested Anne's brother, George, on charges of incest with his sister, the Queen. Yeah, and so like, the other just, Boleyn girl makes it seem like that's exactly what happened. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I that's Honestly, why Honestly, that's so it. historically <clears throat> unresponsible because yeah. so many historians are like, these allegations were just pulled out of his fucking yep. ass in order to be able to divorce her. Yeah. And he was just basically just slandering, you know, her moral character. Like, yep. in the, the part of the incest, because, I mean, she wouldn't have been the first royal to have sexual affairs with other people. But what was absolutely abhorrent to the English people would be incest. And that would be like the last nail in the coffin Mm -hmm. for people to see her as 
a trash person that I don't think she fully was. Yeah. So on May 2nd, 1536, Anne was arrested and she was taken to the Tower of London. And it's likely that Anne may have entered through the court gate in the Byward Tower rather than the Traitor's Gate. Mm-hmm. So she was taken in by barge through the River Thames. Thames? Thames? Mm. A lot of, like, I feel like I've heard that when you take a tour of the Tower of London, some of the tour guides tell you, like, oh, and this is the gate, the Traitor's Gate. And she was, you know, led into through the boat through this water gate. And... That's not the case right. because she was queen. She was she was given some privileges. Yeah. And she wasn't taken through there. She was most likely taken through another like private entrance mm-hmm. into the Tower of London. Yeah. And this is also according to historian and author of The Life and Death of Anne Boleyn, Eric Ives. So in the tower, she collapsed, demanding to know the location of her father and brother, as well as the charges against her. Because at this point, she like doesn't know what she's being brought in for. Yeah. Um, so four of the accused men were tried in Westminster on May 12th. Three of them maintained their innocence. And the only one that did plead guilty was the one that got really tortured because he wasn't like a nobleman. So they were able to torture um, a conf- probably a false confession out of him. Yeah. Um, but the other three, they weren't allowed to torture because they were noblemen and um, they maintained their innocence. So three days later... Anne and George Boleyn were tried separately in the Tower of London before a jury of 27 peers. She was accused of adultery, incest, and high treason. This is like, I feel like some people get confused, like, why she was accused of treason, because you usually think, like, oh, like, she wasn't, like, a spy or anything. But by the Treason Act of Edward III, adultery on the part of a queen was a form of treason because of the implications for the succession to the throne. Yeah, because, like, that's what queens are, apparently, is just, you know, you know, to breed. Right. The line, which a lot of women were treated as such for a very long time, especially during this time period. So the penalties of this treason was hanging, drawing and quartering for a man and burning alive for a woman. But the accusations and especially that of the incestuous adultery were also designed to stain moral character as i said like that was really they really wanted to include the incest in there on may 17th uh the archbishop cranmer the one that henry had tasked to like go and try to get my you know marriage with Catherine annulled and then he failed the same guy he declared Anne's marriage to henry null and void because now the power is within the church of england to do that the king and this archbishop can do whatever the fuck they want annulling and validating marriages left and right you know so the king had successfully fucked it and chucked it again there's a pattern here (laughs) (laughs) um so although the evidence against the men and anne was unconvincing to say the least the accused were still found guilty and condemned to death including anne's brother george bolin and the men were executed on may 17th 1536 The constable of the tower reported Anne seemed very happy and ready to be done with life. Like, she was suffering a lot at this point. Like, she was already so depressed um, with the miscarriages. And then, well, you know, now this going on on top of it all. Yeah. Um, And also, like, let's go back to Jane Seymour. That it wasn't like, you know, she suddenly appeared after Anne was 
arrested. Like they were not shy about flaunting their affair in front of Anne. Like they didn't fucking care. There was one account where Anne walked into a room to find Jane sitting on the king's lap and she like fucking lost it. Like they just didn't. They were doing whatever yeah. the fuck they wanted. I, I can't imagine like how depressed she was. She's like, I'm trying to bury you a son. I've, I've lost three of them traumatically. And now you're having this affair with a woman that you're not even trying to hide. Um, yeah. And now she's in the Tower of London, you know, about to be executed. So I don't know how happy she was, but I think maybe she was really ready, unfortunately, to not live this life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So. Henry commuted Anne's sentence from burning to beheading because he thought that was a little more queenly, I guess. <laughs> like, let me kill you, but I guess, you know, I'll just lessen the, the It'll killing. Be quick. It'll be quick, exactly. Like, be a little more merciful. And he also thought that it was a, uh, she was too above being beheaded by a common axe. So he actually had brought in an expert swordsman from Saint-Omer in France to perform the execution. Wasn't that at her request? Um, maybe it was that? her request, but he Henry definitely was like the one that, I guess, arranged it to at least, yeah. you know. He, and he, pay, I think he paid for it, didn't he? Yeah. Because normally if you are executed, you have to pay your executioner. <laughs> Which is so wild. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> like I, how? I, I thought I remembered that he was like, I'll pay for it. Oh, how kind of you. Um, <laughs> um, well, yeah, nonetheless, this guy from France came. He was just like a super swordsman. You know, he would make sure that it would be really swift and quick. On the morning of Friday, May 19th, 1536, Anne was executed within the Tower precincts, not upon the site of the execution memorial. So if you go to the Tower of London, there's like this glass kind of memorial that's said to be the location of her execution, but it's actually kind of at the opposite end of the tower where it actually was. And according to historian Eric Ives, this scaffold, it was like a temporary scaffold that was erected on the north side of the White Tower in front of what is now the Waterloo Barracks. So accompanied by two female attendants, Anne made her final walk from the Queen's house to the scaffold, and she showed a, quote, devilish spirit and looked, quote, as gray as if she was not going to die. Which these quotes made no sense because if I was about to die, I think I would be rather gray. Yeah. Um, but she was also wearing gray. Oh, I'm. Wow. My. <laughs> OK. Even when I was writing these notes, I wrote I read gray. It's actually gay. Oh, she was like. As gay as if she was not going to die. She was super happy. Or I don't, I don't know about super happy, but I guess, you know, not acting as if she was about to be executed. Yeah. Anne lifted off her headdress, tucking her ha hair under a coif or just like kind of like a fabric okay. wrapping. Um, after a brief farewell to her weeping ladies and a request for prayers, she kneeled down and one of her ladies tied a blindfold over her eyes. She knelt upright in the French style of executions. Her final prayer consisted of her repeating continually, Jesu, receive my soul. O Lord God, have pity on my soul. And the execution consisted of a single stroke. And that was it. She was then buried in an unmarked grave in Aww. the chapel. I know, like, what the fuck? Um, in an unmarked grave in the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula. And her skeleton was later identified during renovations of the chapel in 1876 during the reign of Queen Victoria. 
And so Queen Victoria had Anne's grave then identified on the marble floor. So now it's marked and that's where she rests. And that is a very, in a nutshell, story of Anne Boleyn. Mm -hmm. Now on to the hauntings. So if legends are true, Anne Boleyn's ghost must be like the most traveled ghost in Britain because there are at least six or seven locations that people see her specter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like she is seen fucking all over England. The girl's busy. Um, (laughs) So the six that I'm going to cover are. mm, I wish I'd look this this up because I don't know if it's Sal or Sally Church. I'm going to look it up real quick because I don't. Okay. Um, I think it's just Sal. Yeah, because I think it's uh, French in origin, and it would just be like Sal. Oh, but it's yeah. spelled S-A-L-L-E, which kind of threw me off. Okay, so oh, the yeah, Sal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sal. Um, Sal Church in Norfolk, where Anne's body was allegedly moved after her original burial in the chapel of St. Peter at Vincula in the Tower of London, and then secretly buried under a black slab near the tombs of her Bolin ancestors. And then there's Hampton Court Palace and Windsor Castle, where Anne and Henry resided during their marriage. And there's actually, um, I don't know if you're on the document, but I put a YouTube mm-hmm. link um, here. Let me just grab the link and then I'll um, forge it to you on Facebook. Um, okay. We don't know if this footage is Anne Boleyn, but it's definitely like a ghostly specter that was caught on the CCTV. Oh, whoops. I just sent it to my friend Michelle and said... <laughs> She's going to be like, what the fuck, Maria? What is this video? (laughs) Okay, I just sent it to you. (laughs) Okay, wait. Let me turn my volume. Hello, volume. There's there's no volume on it. It's because it's just like visual. And it's also like kind of like choppy because it's that like CCTV. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Okay. Okay, wait, but it took me to something different. Hang on. Wait, so something's opening. Mm-hmm. So the door that you're looking at in that video is like a fire door. I'm the... looking the wrong way. It's I'm like, like a... there's something opening. Yeah, it's a so it's like a, a back door, like what they call like a fire door um, mm-hmm. in the palace. Oh, it's just like opens. And it opens and you can clearly see a figure right. in period dress opening it. and. They had all week been having a problem of in the middle of the night, like when people would go through the grounds, these doors would just be open and they'll be like, who the fuck is opening these doors? Wow. Yeah. So that they like reviewed the footage and then saw that. Um, But yeah, so that footage was from Hampton Court Palace and then the other place is Windsor where they resided during their marriage. Then there's Blickling Hall, which is her alleged birthplace. And then... Hever Castle, which was her childhood home, and then finally, of course, the Tower of London where she was executed. Sal Church. I'll just so this is I kind of wanted to do like chronological, like, oh, like her birthplace, yeah. her childhood home, but you know what? I'm just gonna go for in the order of like places that kind of have the least information of sightings. Yeah. To the ones with the most. So the first would be Sal Church and also um Marwell Hall. It was kind of hard to find any specific ghost stories. The only story really was um, that she haunts the yew tree walk, mm-hmm. 
where Henry VIII and Jane Seymour are rumored to have strolled while planning their wedding. Legend has it that Henry and Jane were at Marwell Hall, which I guess is kind of like a part of South Church or like on the campus of South Church, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm not quite sure. But they were strolling through there um, on the day of Anne's execution awaiting the news. And Henry had actually arranged for a chain of beacons to let him know that the execution had taken place. So, like, mm-hmm. I guess texting before there was texting. Right. <laughs> to make sure that the news traveled super quickly to him. It has also been rumored that Henry first married Jane at Marwell Hall on May 19th, the day of Anne's execution, before their official wedding on May 30th, 1536. So she's kind of, like, haunting that place mm-hmm. in revenge, I guess. And then there's... The video that I just showed you, Hampton Court Palace slash also Windsor Castle. Right. And also haunts these two famous royal residences in southern England. And at Hampton Court, she is seen wearing a blue dress. She has been described as walking slowly with a sad demeanor. She, her ghost there might also encounter her successor, Jane Seymour, who died at Hampton Court Mm -hmm. on October 24th, 1537, 12 days after giving birth to Prince Edward. Jane has been seen in the clock court and in the silver stick gallery wearing a white robe and holding a lit candle. So I don't know if there's like a ghostly um, ex-wives rivalry going on (laughs) there. Like, can you imagine you guys are like awkwardly like, oh, you're here. Yeah. So I feel like all (laughs) of them, all of them would probably get together at some point, though, and be like, fuck Henry, let's go find him yeah right they probably have like a ghostly yeah ghostly like support group like wow what a fuck boy so yeah um so Anne might also encounter the specter of her her first cousin who was henry's fifth wife queen catherine howard as she meanders the halls of hampton court so catherine had at one point also been arrested Following her own arrest, Catherine allegedly broke free from her guards and ran towards the door of the chapel where Henry was at prayer in hopes that she could appeal to him in person and Henry would pardon her. Henry ignored her pleas and Catherine was dragged, struggling and screaming back to her rooms. And the corridor through which she ran is now called the Haunted Gallery because Catherine's ghost can still be seen and heard running down the corridor still pleading for mercy. Oh, so there's like a lot of different ghosts yeah. going on at Hampton, one of them being Anne, but also her cousin and Jane. Mm-hmm. Lots of people, I'm sure. I mean, these places are so fucking old. Yeah. Um, so now at Windsor Castle, Anne's ghost has been seen standing at a window in the Dean's Cloister. Henry also allegedly haunts Windsor. So again, like an awkward situation where oh, they're yeah. like in the same place. So you kind of wonder like how that encounter <laughs> goes down. What they might say to each other. Windsor Castle guests have heard Henry's footsteps echo along the corridors of the castle and have heard him moaning and groaning as he attempts to pull his ulcerated leg along behind him. The dude had a nasty medical history. He had syphilis. He had um, diabetes, which I'm sure was like the leg thing. He had a bunch of shit, which I think he deserved. Well, that leg, I was looking into that leg thing because I was like, what did he have? They still don't know for sure what that was because it oh, would yeah, not Oh, yeah, they don't heal. know for sure, for sure. It yeah. was bad. Um, it started as an injury. Yeah, I kind of wonder if it, if that, I think that's why um, the people who have guessed that he had maybe type 2 diabetes mm. were on the right track because 
if it gets if it gets injured, I mean, like there's like the nerve damage usually in your extremities when you have diabetes. And so if you get a cut or something, you don't really know that it's there. You let it get infected and get it gets gangrenous and it just like fucking, you know, rots. Yeah. Um, so a lot of historians think that that's my my might have been what that was. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Yeah, I've heard a couple other theories as well, because he never lost his leg. It's it stayed like right? in that. Yeah, area. They, like never amputated mm-hmm. it. It was just like it was there. so gross. Ugh. I don't even uh, it like hurts my <laughs> vagina to think of do you ever have that when you think of something gross and you get like this in your vagina is that just me no I usually okay, get it in cool. my stomach <laughs> okay apparently I don't know but no I could see I that feel it down pool. there <laughs> yeah like <gasps> okay <laughs> moving on <laughs> Henry and Anne's daughter Queen Elizabeth the first has been seen also by several members of the royal family haunting the royal library so it's kind of crazy, like, the royal family has said that they've seen Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds of her high heels are heard on the bare floorboards before her figure appears and passes through the library and into an inner room. She has also Wait, so been... this is Queen Elizabeth's ghost? Yes. Okay. She has also been seen standing at a window in the Dean's Cloister, I guess next to her mama, uh, wearing a black dress with a black lace shawl draped over her shoulders. Since Anne has also been seen in the Dean's Cloister, perhaps mother and daughter have been able to have some sort of relationship in the afterlife, I'd like to think. Now I'll get into these next places are like the ones that have had the greatest effect on Anne during her lifetime and kind of have some of the most fantastical legends of Anne's ghost. And these are places that, of course, are associated with happy and traumatic times in her life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, like, an emotional imprint here. So next is Blickling Hall. And this is the place uh, where a lot of historians believe Anne was born. So there is a building there currently um, that was built in the 17th century. But it's not that's not the original building, obviously. So it does stand on the site of the previous building, that belonged to Anne's father, Sir Thomas Boleyn. And on May 19th, it said that, you know, on the anniversary of her death, that Anne returns to Blickling Hall. A carriage comes up the drive leading to the hall, drawn by six headless horses and driven by a headless coachman. Ooh. Yeah. Anne sits inside, you'll love this, dressed in white and holding her severed head in her lap. (laughs) That's so cute. Such a cute look. (laughs) (laughs) When the carriage reaches the front doors, the horses and carriage disappear and Anne goes inside to roam the halls until daybreak, which is also giving me Bly Manor vibes. Yeah. I feel like Bly Manor was inspired by so many different things like the ring. Oh, yeah. This. (laughs) So also on May 19th, her brother, George Bolin who was accused of having incest with her, is seen being dragged across the countryside by four headless horses. His headless ghost has also been seen wandering the grounds of the estate, searching for peace and justice. Blickling Hall is also said to be haunted by their father, Sir Thomas Boleyn. Um, Some say he is the driver of the coach that delivers Anne to Blickling Hall on the anniversary of her execution. I don't know how they know that, but I guess that's like one theory. Yeah. After dropping Anne off at the front doors at midnight, Sir Thomas continues on, pursued by hordes of screaming demons, cursing him for his betrayal of his family. That's kind of (laughs) cool. It's really metal. (laughs) He is forced to drive his spectral coach over 12 bridges that lie between 
Roxham and Blickling for a thousand years as penance. I don't know why we have those specifics, but yeah. that's what people believe is that he, he's sentenced to that for his. So betrayal. George Bolin um, would make a good metal band name. Oh yeah, like right? it, would, it doesn't sound like it, but then like you honestly, get the right Bolin is a story. really cool last name. It's just it is the the, the sound of it is kind of just cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that is Blickling Hall. And then there's um, Hever Castle. This is actually where Anne grew up. So even though she was born probably at Blickling, she really grew up here in Hever Castle. Um, and it came to be in 1272. So it was around for a while before she even got there. Um, mm-hmm. When Sir Stephen de Penchester was granted permission from Edward I to convert his house to, um, at Hever into a castle. And the Bolins purchased the castle in the early 16th century, rebuilding much of the castle and erecting a comfortable Tudor residence within its walls. The Tudors. Yes, the Tudors. Um, Henry VIII was rumored to have courted Anne beneath the Great Oak, which is still standing. Oh. Oak trees are wild, guys. There's, trees I are love fucking oak old. Trees. Oak trees get so old. Yeah. Like trees in general. I remember like taking a field trip to Armstrong Woods, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And there's like the slice of a stump that used to be the oldest tree in those woods. And you can see they like um it's really cool because there's like this ginormous, you know, slice of the of the trunk of the tree and they the rings of the tree, they have marked little placards of like what yeah. time in history it is. And then you see fucking like Jesus's birth and there's still rings to go. <laughs> like it's, it's so wild. It is. It really Trees is. Trees get so old, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that oak tree is still standing. The hauntings at Hever Castle are not nearly as, like, dramatic, I'd say, as Blickling Hall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Anne obviously really loved Hever, um, so she is often seen returning to this place, probably to, you know, visit happier times. Um, but it's yeah. said that she is seen every Christmas Eve crossing the bridge over the River Eden into the castle grounds. She has also been seen standing beneath the great oak under which Henry wooed her. Oh, this girl's just like wrapped up in it all. I know. She's just like going through all the different chapters of her life for eternity. But yeah, so last but not least is the Tower of London, of course. This is, of course, probably like the most active of all the places that Anne oh, allegedly yeah. haunts. Like, I mean, hello, she was fucking executed there. Right. I kind of think a lot of this just feels like emotional imprints or like memories yeah. that are just kind of replaying. And yep. of, of course, that kind of often hap- uh, happens to people who die in a very like tragic, violent, traumatic way as Anne did. So it's very understandable that she's like still hanging out there. So the main t- fortress of the tower, known as the White Tower, was um, erected by William the Conqueror in 1078. Ugh. Like, so 10- old. 1078. Um, and added on, like, that's so old. Um, and added onto by subsequent monarchs. So the tower was old already over 450 years old when Anne became queen. So that place already had its history, is already like yeah. emotionally, spiritually charged. And since the tower was a place of imprisonment and death for most of its existence, as well as a royal residence, it's said to be the most haunted building in London, if not the whole of England. Anne Boleyn's ghost has been seen in 
several different places around the tower grounds area. So in the White Tower, the Queen's house, where she allegedly stayed the night before her coronation and also during her imprisonment prior to her execution, um, although that's kind of been disputed uh, as a fallacy mm-hmm. because, what was it, like the, the, the building that they're claiming, it actually was built after her execution. Oh. So it was actually kind of a, a Victorian fallacy just told for tourists. Right. And like, oh, like this is where Anne Boleyn, the room that Anne Boleyn stayed in, like that's actually not true. So, yeah. but um, nonetheless, so there's the White Tower and the Queen's House. There's Tower Green, um, the, which is the site of where the true place of the execution took place, like where that scaffold was. Um, and then, of course, there's the chapel of St. Peter at Vincula, where she was buried under the floor of the, the mm-hmm. you know, of the chapel. So in 1817, a sentry patrolling the White Tower suffered a fatal heart attack after encountering a ghostly Anne Boleyn on a staircase. Mm-hmm. Like he saw her and he just fucking like died and from fright. <laughs> and um, in 1864, another sentry was standing guard outside of the queen's house and reported seeing the white figure of a woman veiled in mist. She was wearing a Tudor dress and a French hood. Definitely Anne. Yeah. Loved her French fashion. However, where her face should have been, there was nothing. Oh, yeah. So Anne. Yeah. So (laughs) Anne. (laughs) Um, He actually, like, challenged the figure. I guess, like, you know, like, fright or or what is it not fight. fight or flight fight or flight he went into fight mode so he's challenging this figure and like kind of being like who are you and it did not reply and actually continued approaching him he's freaking the fuck out so he thrusts his bayonet into this figure but what there's happened- the fight <laughs> yeah there's the fight get the fuck out i swear you to know. god there's another one i know there's fight flight freeze i know now there's also fawn I swear to God, there's a fifth one font. Yeah, that's normally in like abusive relationships where you try to like, it's kind of like that submissive, like, let me do things for you. Mm -hmm. I swear there's another one, which is to figure out what the fuck's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Another F. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, so he just sticks his bayonet into her, but his bayonet passed right through the figure without tearing up any flesh. Uh-huh. And he actually felt a fiery flash run up his rifle and give him a shock, and he fainted. Oh. The sentry was court-martialed for falling asleep during his watch because he was found, like, passed out. So they're like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing sleeping on, you know, your watch? But um, he was found not guilty because there were actually several eyewitnesses that told the court that they had also seen this happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, they saw the headless woman in the tower uh, on on the tower green that like that night one officer who saw the event from a window in the bloody tower testified that he had heard the sentry yelling at the figure to stop and then saw him thrusting his bayonet bayonet through it and then he saw the figure pass through the bayonet and then through the sentry as well like through his body Mm -hmm. wild so by far the most spectacular haunting by anne in the tower takes place in the chapel royal of St. Peter ad Vicula, where she is buried. So in the late 19th century, a captain of the guard noticed a light burning in the locked chapel late at night. He found a ladder and then placed it against one of the chapel windows to kind of check out what was going on inside. Right. But he was shocked 
at the scene taking place in the otherwise empty chapel. It can best be described by an excerpt from Ghostly Visitors by Spectre Stricken, London, 1882. I don't know. I guess this is maybe like a newspaper or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But the account says, Slowly down the aisle moved a stately procession of knights and ladies attired in ancient costumes. And in front walked an elegant female whose face was averted from him, but whose figure greatly resembled the one he had seen in reputed portraits of Anne Boleyn. After having repeatedly paced the chapel, the entire procession together with the light disappeared. Whoa. Yeah, they just like dissipated. How wild would it be to see that? Yeah, right? (laughs) holy fucking shit i would actually kind of freak out like when the light also goes out because then like he's probably in the pitch dark outside himself yeah i would just run screaming whoa of course like there's been many visitors that take tours at the tower of london and they have many many different um accounts of experiencing seeing um anne boleyn or hearing voices feelings of being pushed um seeing like the headless figure like of her just like in her beautiful gown but then there's like nothing where her face is supposed to be yeah so there's many many different accounts like that but those are the six most haunted places that Anne Boleyn walks through to this day and that's it it's the hauntings of Anne Boleyn poor Anne Boleyn and some of her relatives too (laughs) (laughs) man yeah, poor Anne Boleyn, honestly. I mean, poor all those women. Yeah. They were all victims of Henry and his dick. And his dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a cursed dick. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that was fun to research. Um, I bet. I didn't know all the history of Anne Boleyn, um, so that was kind of cool to kind of fill in the gaps of what I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of these are so, like, really fantastical. Um, what was another one that I forgot to note here? There's, oh, um, so the thing with, uh, George, uh, the thing with George Boleyn being seen dragged by the four headless horses, that also goes into a legend that says that people saw that allegedly during, like, the same time that Anne Boleyn was executed. Like around the the exact time in the grounds of Windsor, I think it is. No, Hampton. No. I forget what one it is. Hold on. Yeah, Hampton. Blickling? No. Hever. One of those. (laughs) I don't know. They're all blurring together. Um, I think it's Hampton um, or Windsor. No, it's Hampton. I'm okay, guys. It's okay. I'm just having many brain farts at once. So, yeah, because that's the place that has like the the carriage and the horseman and this and that. So people, I guess, are on the fence of whether that is George or if that was some sort of weird omen. Right. Wow. Yes, yes. Heavy. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're interested, but I did find this, like, a transcript of her final words. Like, the little oh, speech yeah, that yeah. she made. Did, should I read that, too? Yeah. Okay, let me find it. I know I've heard it. Okay, Anne Boleyn's speech at her execution from EnglishHistory.net. So she said, more or less, right? Um, Good Christian people, I am come hither to die, for according to the law and by the law I am judged to die. And therefore I will speak nothing against it, 
I am come hither to accuse no man, nor to speak anything of that, whereof I am accused and commend, con, or sorry, condemned to die. But I pray God save the king and send him long to reign over you, for a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never. And to me he was ever a good, a gentle, and sovereign lord. And if any person will meddle of my cause, I require them to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of the world and of you all, and I heartily desire you all to pray for me. O Lord, have mercy on me. To God, I commend my soul. And apparently, like, there wasn't a dry eye when she was making her speech. But, like, it's kind of, like, very forgiving and, like, God save the king of her. Like, poor, poor thing was, like, obviously still very much in love with this guy that just fucking is, like, condemning her to die. Right? Um... But yeah, so that was like the final speech of Anne Boleyn. And then she was, you know, doing her prayers of like, Jesu, take my soul or something. Or other, yeah. Until she, until that final stroke of the sword. Very, very dignified speech, if I may say so. Yeah, very much so. That's it, guys. I hope you had a fun little history lesson slash fun hearing kind of the hauntings of this gal. Um, I think, I really do think that it's probably a lot of emotional imprints because I don't know. I mean, not not that I'm going to be some sort of, like, expert on how ghosts work, but she is cited in so... That's just the top places that she's cited. There's more areas that she has been seen. Yeah. Allegedly, you know? I think the badass of it is, like, sometimes she's seen, like, with the carriage that the head is in her lap. Sometimes she's seen walking with her head tucked under her arm. That is so wild. (laughs) Like... I love how petty she is. Like, I'm going to fucking remind people what ha- the fuck happened to me. Because she could choose to present herself probably. Exactly. Normal. And sometimes she is seen with her head. And then under the other times she's like, I'm going to freak these people the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Better not forget about me. Don't forget. <laughs> Never forget Anne Boleyn. That's a good one. Funsies. Hope you guys Super. enjoyed it. Soup's fun. Soup's fun. Can't wait to... Um. Oh my gosh. Like, I really... My dream honeymoon, I think, would be to do a trip through the UK. Mm. Yeah. I've never been there other than like just Heathrow Airport. That doesn't really count. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just I'm such an Anglophile. I love I love the history and just uh, not a big fan of their colonialism, but or their imperialism. Yeah. But um, but I just, you know, so excited to one day visit England and I'm going to fucking for sure visit the tower of london oh my god i would give anything to visit there i tried once Mm -hmm. when we went to the netherlands to be like can we like go for a weekend (laughs) that was the same trip that we went or no that was the trip after we went to france it just didn't work out yeah i tried to go when i was doing my um study abroad in italy i only was ever able to successfully get to um france Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. I really wanted to like do hopping around all the different countries, but alas, one day, one yeah. day, well, you know, if not for my future honeymoon at some point. Yeah. Uh, so that's our episode, guys. We hope you've enjoyed it. Also, we hope you enjoyed um, our surprise. Holy fucking shit. Okay. I just saw the photo that you put of the brand. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to post that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it needs to. <laughs> that's what that's what it was. That's what yep. he did to people. Holy shit! Okay, I see the KR, and then if what you was look the other sideways, one? 
And then straight on, it's the A, and then there's like an M M. under the the A. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Wow. Okay, that's so funny. When you said seven lines, I thought you were just like seven, like, (laughs) like, you know, like when you're like counting. Right. I'm like, uh, okay. Wow, that's wild. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, hope you, at this point, you've (laughs) listened to our um, second uh, Cauldron Side chat came out. We hope you enjoyed that um, surprise little bonus episode. Yep. We will be doing those once a month at the end of the month. Um, but for December, starting December, they were they will be Patreon exclusive. Yes, we're beefing so, that bad boy up. Yeah, we're definitely putting way more attention to our Patreon going forward. I know that that's been a part that we've been a little neglectful of. So we're really beefing it up. We've done. Um, already a lot we rearranged kind of the different tiers that you can Mm -hmm. sign up for each one you'll get a private reading with laura and and going forward you also Mm -hmm. get a discount on any future readings you might want i set up an etsy shop oh yay there you go yeah you did it oh i did see that you showed it to your story on haunted valkyrie yeah it's so exciting um so yeah awesome so then you also get discounts for reading with laura and um you'll be added to our close friends list you'll have now this new bonus episode and then guys you really loved creepy stories with laura (laughs) so much thanks (laughs) we're gonna keep (laughs) we're laura's gonna keep doing them (laughs) um but patreon members will be will have access to an extended version of that episode yeah right yeah some extra stories yeah, you'll have some extra stories to hear from. Um, so really exciting stuff. Um, we do really appreciate our Patreon members so, so much. Um, so much. They've helped us improve equipment, um, improve the uh, the kinds of services that we like hosting and stuff and sign, sign up for and we pay for. So it really helps us like dedicate the time that we do and create the content that you guys love. So if um, you're not a Patreon member and you're really interested and you'd like to support us. It's really the best way to support us. Um, yeah. You go to patreon.com slash the new witches. And you can sign up for the various different membership tiers there. But all of them get you access to like everything that we described. I think that the only difference is kind of like the type of reading that you get. Right. Yeah. 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 Either something super simple or something much more complex. Basically. Got it. Got it. Cool. So, yeah, um, we hope you enjoyed this show. Um, we hope you enjoyed our second Cauldron Side Chats and looking forward to um, everything that's to come on Patreon. And oh my gosh, we're leading up to Yule. Yes, that's our next one. The next Sabbath is Yule. Um, honestly, it's funny because everyone else is pretty much unconsciously uh, prepping for Yule. I just find it so funny ever since, you know, identifying as a witch and learning about the Sabbaths. I'm like, we already do all this. <laughs> And we yeah. don't even know. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But yeah, guys, so that's pretty much it. I'm mm-hmm. going to wrap things up. I feel like I'm um, blabbering at this point, but. That's it. That's it. That's, that's it. That's, that's, that's it. Yule's our next episode, I think. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let myself out now. All right, guys, stay witchy. <laughs> Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.